Forgotten Classics, where a good story never goes out of style. I'm Julie, and here we have episode 364 of Forgotten Classics, where we are reading The Wind Boy. First, I don't have a new podcast highlight, but I do have a couple of sets of books I've been reading, which are perfect summertime reading. Light, fun, You don't have to think about big themes. You can just go along for the ride. The first set is by P.G. Wodehouse, as I would call him as an American. Wodehouse, as the Brits call him, and I guess he's British, so there you go, who wrote so many books, and most of us would know him from the Jeeves and Wooster books, which are good. And I have been listening to different ones, some Jeeves and Wooster, some of the short stories, and I'd never listened to his short stories. And it really makes me realize how he can take all these plots, which he's so ingenious in coming up with, and weave them together to be a novel. So I start to see behind his mastery of plot and words. I've also been listening to some of the Blanding's Castle series. I've always really loved the later ones where a big part of the Earl of Emsworth's time is being spent on the Empress of Blanding's, which is his prize pig. But I'm now listening to the earlier ones, and they're different in tone because, as was said in a foreword by the author, he didn't know he was writing a series, so he just kind of let himself go. The one I'm listening to now is called Something Fresh. I'm really enjoying it a lot. And it came out in serialized fashion in the U.S., which is kind of funny, even though it's about an English setting. But that makes it maybe a little different in character, maybe a little bit longer. But it's just light, frothy fun. And I would really highly advise them if you're looking for light reading. The other thing is... The Cool and Lamb series, Cool, C-O-O-L, and Lamb is L-A-M, by A.A. Fair, F-A-I-R-E, who was really Earl Stanley Gardner, who wrote all the Perry Mason books that we know, and tons of other stories, evidently. I mean, this guy just wrote and wrote and wrote and had a fertile imagination for crime plots and then how to solve them also. But Cool and Lamb are kind of a fun couple because Bertha Cool owns the detective agency and she is in her 60s, maybe built like a tank, no nonsense, terrible at dealing with the clients. Donald Lamb is a cool-headed very clever little guy. The kind of friendly policeman to them calls him half pint. But the ladies love him. So I don't know what it is about him. But everywhere he goes, the women are all after him. And there's the loyal secretary to the firm who also is very romantically interested in Donald. You never really hear about anything happening, at least in the six or seven of them that I've read. But That's the dynamic for the detective agency. And then they get all these crazy cases, of course, which he winds up usually having to go solve. You don't get as much of Bertha in most of them because it's being told by Donald. But they're, again, they're fun. They're hard-boiled in a way, but still we love Donald and he's so clever. 
So highly recommend those also. Those are more likely to be found in used bookstores and again under the AA Fair name. Now that I've got you with your light reading, let's get back to our book, The Wind Boy. So last time we found out who the masker was, Rosemarie, who saw this coming? Well, when we think back, we could have seen it coming, (laughs) but (laughs) it's not really out there for us to grab at. And I loved the fact that when she's explaining all this to Kay, we see all her reasons. It's not really her fault. She's a kid. She doesn't know of the effect the maskers had on everybody. She's so lonely. She's just looking for a way to have fun. And that's what drives her to this mischief. So we can see what the solution might be since the grandfather was already saying, well, are you playing with Kay and Gentian? You should be. But There are other things to be resolved now. The policeman with his continual suspicion of these children who are so close to where the massacre is always seen and also are poor immigrants, so we can't really trust them. And now he thinks Kay did it. I like that Nan was able to talk him down into not bothering Detra with it until later. And now we're left with Kay thinking through his dilemma of what to do. Should he save himself? Should he protect Rosemarie? Which way is he going to go? He says he's never going to give up Rosemarie. It's not her fault, which is very noble. I like that in him. Of course, we don't feel like the book is going to leave him in the policeman's hands. And we're going to find that out this time. I think we're ready. Let's dive in. Chapter 15. Rosemarie is waked by the little silver bell. As for Rosemarie, Miss Prine scolded her all the way back to the house. She scolded her for leaving her lessons to run out to play. She scolded her for going out into the twilight alone and without permission. She scolded her for stealing and abusing Miss Prine's own best cape. But most of all, she scolded her for not being sorry for Rosemarie refused to be sorry. She did not drop her head, and whenever Miss Prine turned to look down into her face, she saw a happiness there that there was no accounting for, and was indeed offensive under the circumstances. Of course, the thing that was keeping Rosemarie happy in spite of the disgrace that was her due was the memory of Kay. Why, for half an hour or so, she had had a real playmate— When he chased her in the mask, that had been a sort of a game of tag, hadn't it? Rosemarie had seen other children playing tag before, but she had never played it, for you can't play tag alone. And then they had talked in the tulip garden, and he had told her all that fairy story-ish thing about the wind boy. Only it wasn't a fairy story at all. He had said it was true, and he looked true enough when he said it all. She had only met fairies in books. But those two, Kay and Gentian, knew them in real life and had them for friends. When they had each other, was it fair that they should have the fairies too? Miss Prine's voice was getting lower and lower in its scolding tones the nearer they came to the house, for she did not mean the artist to know how very naughty Rosemarie had been. He might think it was in some way her fault that she had not kept careful watch enough. And that would be unjust, for no one could be more watchful than Miss Prine. 
It was just that she had been eating her supper with the housekeeper and thought Rosemarie would be safe with her lesson books. So very quietly now, she hurried Rosemarie up the back stairs to her high nursery. There she brushed and brushed her dark dancing curls with quick, firm strokes until they stopped dancing and shone instead. Then very hurriedly, she slipped her into a fresh frock, a white frock with pink rosebuds and a wide white muslin sash. This should have been Polly's work, but Polly was still hunting somewhere in the grounds. There had not been time to tell her that Rose Marie was found. Now Rose Marie stood prim and sweet and clean, ready to be seen by her grandfather. And they were only just in time, for there was his knock at the door. He had unexpectedly come up to the nursery instead of waiting for her to be brought down. Rose Marie was glad to see her grandfather, for she loved him with her whole heart. At least, it had been her whole heart until Kay and Gentian had moved in next door, and from a distance she had begun loving them too. But she was a little in awe of him for all of her love. And then Miss Prine always appeared a little afraid of him. That had had its effect on Rose Marie from her babyhood. His first words tonight amazed her. Well, have you been having a good time with that little girl and boy next door? Better than always playing alone, eh? But Miss Prine answered quickly and nervously before Rose Marie could answer. Oh, we haven't begun that yet, she said. You did not say there was any hurry about it in your telegram, and right on top of your telegram came the news from the policeman that both those foreign children were mischievous beyond the ordinary, and that he suspected the boy of being the masker. So... But at the word masker, the artist had sternly motioned Miss Prine silent. We will not discuss this before Rosemarie, if you please. Sir, I am sorry for the slip. Miss Prine went out of the room, leaving Rosemarie alone with her grandfather. Oh, grandfather, did you tell her I might play with them? Rosemarie asked with clasped hands and delight in her face. Yes, I did mention something of the sort in a wire to Miss Prine. But I shall have to have a talk with her now before it is definitely decided. We will say no more until that time. Only tell me what you have been doing while I was away. Rose Marie was surprised at this request. Usually her famous grandfather was too absorbed in his work and his books and his clever friends to give thought to her adventure. But Miss Prine had trained her so well that she was ready for the social emergency. She sat down on a footstool at her grandfather's knee and told him her days. Well, that is, she told him of everything but the masquerading. She dared not, of course, tell him that. But he scarcely heard her words. He was looking at her in amusing, troubled fashion. You see, he had been thinking of Gentian in the time he was away, and of what she had said of Rosemarie. It was Gentian who had set him to thinking. Right in the middle of the account of Rosemarie's lonely adventures came a knock at the door, and there was Miss Prine again. "'If you please, sir, the village policeman is down in the hall again. It's the third time this evening. Shall we say you're still busy?' "'No, no, I'll come, and we will finish this tomorrow,' the artist promised Rosemarie. "'It is bedtime now, anyway. Good night and sleep well.' But out in the passage, he asked of Miss Prine in a low voice quickly, Tell me, you spoke of the masker before the child. 
Has she been allowed to hear anything about it? That was against my strictest orders. Has she been frightened? No, indeed. She has heard nothing, Miss Prine assured him. It was just in my eagerness not to let you think I had acted inadvisedly in not allowing her to play with those dreadful children that I let the word slip. Aside from this single time, she has not heard a word. Why do you call them dreadful children? I liked the little girl ever so much. I had quite a talk with her in the tulip garden. Yes, I dare say you would notice nothing. They are quiet enough and well-spoken. Clean, too. But the policeman has a tale for you about them that may make you change your mind as to letting Rosemarie have them for playmates. Is that what the policeman wants now, to complain about these youngsters? Yes, he caught the boy with the mask. He's come about that. The artist's face grew more sober and more sober all the way down the stairs as he thought about this. You know all that the policeman had to tell him, and so you shall hear what happened to Rose Marie that night. For a wonderful thing did happen. She went to bed with a glad heart, for had not her grandfather hinted that she might be allowed to play with Kay and Genshin? Oh, if only she were let do that, she would try never to be naughty again. She wondered if Kay had got the mask safely to the wind boy. And was the wind boy back with his comrades now, one of them again, in the clear land? Perhaps she herself would see the wind boy sometime. Kay had said that he liked to take his naps in the tulip garden. Tomorrow she would go softly there and watch. She would make Miss Prine sit on the lowest stone step and wait for her, for Rose Marie was not supposed to go as far as the tulip garden by herself. Yes, she would surely look for the wind boy in the tulip garden tomorrow. In the midst of these happy thoughts, she fell asleep. On the stand at the head of Rosemary's bed stood a little silver bell. This was for her to ring if she should wake in the night and want anything. She never did ring it, for she always slept right through the night as healthy children should. But tonight a strange thing happened. The little silver bell at the head of her bed was rung, ever so lightly, but not by Rosemarie. It was rung so softly that Miss Prine, sleeping in the next room with the door ajar, did not hear it at all. But being right next to Rosemary's ear, it woke her. She sat up in her bed. Who had rung it? The room was silvery with starlight. Over by one of the windows, the window where the big dollhouse stood, was something brighter than the starlight. When Rosemary looked at it hard, she saw that it was a person. Who are you? She whispered through the room, for she was not sure at first that it was not just a dream. The person did not answer at once, but moved toward her in starry brightness. She came to the edge of Rosemary's bed and sat down there on the silk coverlet. Don't you know who I am? The starry person asked then. Why, you're Nan, the maid next door. Yes, I am Nan. But what a beautiful robe you are wearing. It's like the sky. It makes you like a fairy. No, nicer than any fairy. Do you like it so much? Gentian does too, and now she has made herself one like it. Gentian has? Oh, if I am allowed to play with her, will she let me see it? Is it really as beautiful as yours? I thought she had only shabby faded clothes, 
rather funny ones. Will she show me her starry one? Yes, I think she would if you were allowed to play with her. But now you will not be allowed, for your grandfather will think it dangerous. Oh, but he has promised that perhaps I may, only tonight, truly. That was before he saw the policeman. They were whispering, their faces close. Nan's eyes were more sky-like than her nightgown, and her face was shining, too. There was a smell of pine needles about her, and spruce, green leaves, and arbutus blossoms. Rosemary's breath was stopped with wonder. You smell like the woods, she said, forgetting Nan's words of the policeman and what they might mean. I have just come back from the mountains. Not just tonight. How could you get way there and back just tonight? I saw you from my window at supper time. Oh, in my starry brightness. That's what Gentian calls this nightgown. I can do that easily enough. Rosemary reached her hand to touch the starry stuff, but her fingers felt nothing at all. She might as well have tried to touch starlight. Are you a dream? she cried then. Am I asleep? Nan laughed merrily at that. Strange that that laugh did not waken Miss Prine. Not at all, Rosemary. Could a dream ring your bell, do you think? You did ring my bell, didn't you? That was what woke me. But if you did ring it, then how did you get way over to the window there before I could open my eyes? Nan laughed again, but more softly. If you will promise not to think me a dream, I will tell you, she said, leaning close, until Rosemarie saw deep into her eyes. Well then, I rang the bell while I was still in the mountains. Can you believe that? I came all the way in the instant while you were waking after I had rung the bell. Rosemarie gasped. Truly? Truly? she asked. But really, she did not mean to ask, for she knew very well that it was truly, truly. It was only her surprise. But to come all the way from the mountains, in the instant waking took, after she heard the bell at her ear. And how could Nan ever have rung the bell when she was way off out there? It was too strange to understand, but never too strange to believe when Nan said it. Why can't I touch you since you're real and not a dream? Rosemary asked. Because I'm in my starry brightness. Oh, is your night robe magic? No, of course not. Miss Prine should teach you not to be so superstitious. There's no such thing as magic. That's what Miss Prine always says, too, but I thought now she must be wrong. What else but magic can keep me from touching you and let you travel so fast and ring a bell from all that way away? Dear Rosemarie, if I could tell you that, I would be very wonderful. I myself don't know the house of it, but I do know that it is not magic. They were silent for a while, while Rosemarie wondered. But she kept her gaze on Nan's eyes of sky and knew it was no dream. Then she remembered what Nan had said of the policeman. What about the policeman? How can he stop me from playing with Jenshin and Kay? She asked. Well, you see, he came tonight to tell your grandfather that Kay is the masker. Your grandfather will not like that in Kay. He will think him bad and mischievous. But Kay isn't the masker. He isn't bad and mischievous. He is brave and splendid. 
Yes, but so long as your grandfather thinks he was the masker, he will think him bad and mischievous. And if I tell him I was the masker, Rosemary whispered ruefully, he will think I am bad and mischievous. And what will he do to me? I don't know that, but I do know, for the policeman has told me, that he is going to shame Kay before all the village tomorrow morning. He is to be expelled from school for a week, and his mother will be very sad. Oh, bother! But why doesn't Kay tell them that it was I, Rosemarie? He must surely do that, and then I'll get the punishment. No, Kay won't say it was you. He didn't even tell me that. How did you know? I only guessed. Oh, dear, what shall I do? Why won't Kay tell? He doesn't want you to be scolded. He must be fond of you. What can I do? What do you think you can do? There was a silence. Then Rosemarie said, But I am afraid of Grandfather. Nan did not answer that. Well, must I tell him? Nan did not answer that either. And when I do, I suppose I'll never be allowed to play with Kay and Gentian ever. That would be the biggest punishment he could make. I didn't know I was being naughty, truly, and I didn't know about the little boy who was made sick until Kay told me it was only a game. Yes, I know. With Nan's eyes of sky so close to hers, Rose Marie suddenly had to stop feeling sorry for herself. Self-pity faded into nothingness. When shall I tell him? she asked. Now, so that you can sleep well. He is sitting up late in his study. I saw the light as I came toward the house. Oh, did you come in through the secret door? Rosemary asked then, delighted by the sudden thought. It is my secret door, you know. How did you find it? Not by the secret door, you mean. But it was a secret door, and I found it for myself. Indeed, it was the only way I could come to you tonight. Wasn't it the door behind the syringia bush? That's the only secret door I know of. Rosemary's eyes were sparkling at the mystery of it. No, not the door behind the syringia bush. Where, where is there another? Rosemary was all eagerness. My secret door was a little one I found waiting ajar, a little door into your mind. Rosemary shook her head at that. She did not try to understand. I'll go to Grandfather then, she said, putting her feet on the polished floor. Do you suppose he will be terribly angry? I don't know. I hope not, for I don't think you were really very naughty. But when Rosemarie had opened the door into the passage, she looked back at Nan. It's pitchy dark, she whispered. All the lights are out and everyone in bed. It was true. The passage and the stairs were in utter darkness, except for a thin, pale starlight that came from a high window somewhere. Rose Marie ran back to Nan, but in the middle of the room she stopped. You could not be a coward before those eyes. But she asked, Will you be waiting here when I get back to tuck me in, Nan? Yes, I'll be waiting here, Nan promised. So Rose Marie took heart and went out into the dark passage. 
There she felt her way along the wall to the stairs. No starlight reached the stairs, and all was utter darkness. Rose Marie had her eyes tight shut all the way down, but that made no difference. She could have seen nothing with them open. There was more starlight in the hall beneath, and that helped her to the second flight of stairs. They were long and turning, but at their foot was her grandfather's library door. Rose Marie, to her mingled relief and fear, saw the light shining through a crack at the bottom. She knocked ever so softly. Who's there? I, Rose Marie. The artist came in quick strides to the door and flung it open. He looked down in amaze at Rose Marie there in the darkness, in her little white nightgown and bare feet. Oh, Grandfather, there is something I must tell you. Couldn't it wait until morning, my dear child? No, at least Nan thought I couldn't sleep well till you knew. Who is Nan? The girl from the mountains. But it's the masker I've got to tell you about. Oh, Grandfather, it was I, all the time, never Kay. Kay only caught me and took the mask away to the wind boy. The artist's brows knit into a puzzled frown. What was all this about a girl from the mountains and the wind boy? Was it Gentian's wind boy? And Rosemarie the masker? And what was she doing here, his perfectly cared-for little granddaughter, standing in the dark, drafty hall in her nightgown and bare feet? Where was Miss Prine, anyway? What was it all about? He ran his hands through his clustering gray curls, curls so like the wind boy's. Then he led Rosemarie into the room and made her sit on the sofa. He wrapped her round and round, bare feet and all, in a gay-striped Roman shawl. Then pulling a chair up in front of her, he sat down in it. Now, Rosemarie, begin at the very beginning and tell me everything. Don't cry. Rosemarie had not known there were tears in her eyes. How could you be the masker? That's absurd. So Rosemarie wiped away the surprising tears with a corner of the shawl and did tell her grandfather everything. When she had come to an end, he sat silent for many minutes. Then he said slowly, wonderingly, Nan, in starry brightness in your room must have been a dream. And the wind boy? Well, perhaps he's a dream of Gentian and Kay's, but all the rest seems real enough. And then, to Rose Marie's utter surprise, her grandfather suddenly took her upon his knee, Roman shawl and all, and leaned her head against his shoulder. How lonely you have been, he said in the saddest, kindest voice. It is all your selfish old grandfather's fault. You should have had playmates all this while. Mea culpa. They sat that way for a long time, not speaking more. And after a time, Rose Marie, in spite of the deliciousness of being loved by her grandfather, fell asleep. When she woke, it was morning, and she was back in her bed in her high nursery room. But it was still very early, and Miss Prine was not yet stirring. Rose Marie lay, the only one awake in the great still house. Right at once, though, she knew that her last night had not been a dream, for she was still wrapped around in the Roman shawl from the sofa in her grandfather's library. Oh, wouldn't Miss Prime be surprised when she found her so? But she couldn't scold. Grandfather wouldn't let her. Rosemarie sat up. 
There was sunlight instead of starlight at the windows now, but over the silk coverlet and all through the room hung faintly the smell of pine and spruce and green leaves and arbutus. Oh, why hadn't she kept herself awake to say good night to Nan? Chapter 16 Rose Marie Comes to School In the little brown house over the hedge, Kay was waking too. But even before his eyes were open, he remembered that something unpleasant was waiting for him in this day. What was it? Oh, yes, the mask business. The policeman had told the artist that he, Kay, was the masker. Before night, everyone in the village would think he was the masker. Everyone, that is, except Gentian and Nan and Detra. They would not believe the policeman, but they would be bothered all the same. But why was Gentian laughing? Had she forgotten all about last night and the policeman? Kay jumped out of bed and ran to the head of the stairs. The laughter was coming up from the sitting room, and there was Gentian clapping her hands. She only clapped her hands when she was very, very happy. What is it? Why are you laughing? Kay called down to her. At his voice, she came dancing out into the hall. She was still in her nightgown, and her hair was all rumpled from her pillow. Her cheeks were rosy from sleep. Okay, she cried. Do come and see the wind boy. He is perfect. Is the wind boy down there? Hello, wind boy, Kay sang out. Oh, no, not our wind boy, the statuette. I could hardly wait for morning to see if Mother had followed him to the clear land and got him happy. I was awake before dawn. But Kay was bounding down the stairs. He had forgotten about the statuette. Of course. Well, some good thing had come out of last night at any rate. Detra was just finishing her early breakfast at the little low table by the tulips. And right in the middle of the table, with the early sun just touching his head, stood the finished wind boy. Kay went close and stood looking. Yes, Gentian was right. He was perfect. It was the wind boy as he had looked when he caught the mask that Nan had thrown and scattered it to bits on the lawn. His face and body, too, were all alight and joyous. He was about to fly up, up, and away into the blue air. He was standing on very tiptoes, his wings spread wide, his whole body, every bit of him ready. Indeed, the statuette, little as it was, and made only of plastilina, was so alive and lightened from within that it was not easy for the children to remember that it was just a statuette and not the wind boy himself. Oh, mother, he is just himself, as he became last night. Nan was right. You did follow him up there. Detra was smiling happily but sleepily. She had not been to bed at all, but had worked all night in the clearland. Yes, she said. Last night he was different. I saw him right. He had never been like that before. There was always a cloud over him somehow. But last night he shone out to my eyes, clear and radiant like this. Oh, I have never, never done work of this sort before. I know that. Kay and Gentian were looking at each other now. Their eyes said, 
She thinks she did it, but it was really us, ourselves and Nan. We made the wind boy happy. And Kay exclaimed aloud, I don't care now. They can do what they want to me. It was worth it. Detra looked away from the statuette and at Kay, puzzled. What don't you care about, Kay? What is worth it? And worth what? But with her words, the village clock began to strike. It was seven o'clock. Oh, I must hurry, Detra cried, jumping up, or I shall miss my train. She suddenly kissed and hugged both her children, snatched up her cape, and ran away out of the house. But Kay had meant what he had said. The statuette was so lovely, and his mother was made so happy by it that he was now ready to face the day and all the humiliation it might hold for him. He marched off to school by Gentian's side with his coppery head held high. And the minute he got into the school, he knew that the thing that was to happen had already begun. When the children playing around the door saw his approach, they pretended great fear and ran away screaming, The masker! He'll bite! Ooh! Ooh! The masker! So the policeman had already been talking and the news had spread. But there was nothing to do but march in and take his accustomed seat and wait for what must come. Miss Todd, he thought, kept her gaze on him steadily and strangely from the very first, There was an unusual hubbub in the room, but it stopped when he entered. Then school began. Kay's cheeks were afire, but his head was very, very high. He was thinking, I'm glad Mother won't know until tonight anyway. She'll have all day to think about the wind boy and be happy in. But he was sorry for Gentian, who was sitting very erect behind her little desk, with her hands tightly clasped in her lap and her lips set together. At first, school went as usual. Miss Todd's perfect order and drill were not to be shaken by the excitement that lay under the morning. But whenever Kay looked up from his books or paper, he seemed to find her keen eyes upon him. And she did not call on him to recite, although his turn came over and over. She passed him by, but still looking at him. Never had school seemed so long to Kay and Gentian, though in truth it had often seemed long enough. Well, if Kay was to be expelled and put to shame, why didn't Miss Todd do it now? That would be better than this. Behind the ticking of the school clock and the lessons and the recitations, the whole school was simply waiting. Everyone knew that. And then, toward recess time, at last it came. A step out in the hall. A boy near Kay whispered, the policeman. So that was it. They had been waiting for the policeman to come to take him away to prison. In his own country, they did not put little boys into prison, so he had not thought of that happening. But who knew what they might or might not do here in this strange foreign land? Well, let them. Now less than ever did he mean to tell on Rosemarie. Sounded a knock at the school door. Everyone jumped a little, even Miss Todd, just as though after the step they had not been waiting for it. Kay straightened back his shoulders and tried not to look at Gentian, but somehow he could not help seeing her. Her wide blue Gentian eyes swam before his gaze, eyes terrified for him. 
Then Miss Todd opened the door, and there came in not the policeman, but the artist, and with him Rose Marie. The school gasped in its surprise. You could hear it all about the room, but the artist did not take the chair Miss Todd so politely offered him. He came and stood by her desk and looked at all the children. He looked at them all in turn, and they looked back. It made Gentian think of the shoeman who had measured her and Kay by looking into their eyes. What was the great artist measuring them for? When he came to Gentian, he smiled a greeting, but she could not smile back. She was too troubled for Kay. But the artist seemed to understand her soberness. He spoke rather quickly then, in a low, clear voice. I have come to tell you that the masker has been found, he said and that it will not frighten you again at twilight. You can play on the streets near my house now without any thought of it. It will never come again. Miss Todd at her desk nodded, and now there was no doubt about it any longer. She was looking at Kay in great sternness. But the artist was not stern. He said, and the policeman assures me that he knows who the masker was. It was, he says, a boy a boy in this school. Indeed, he caught him with the mask in his hands. His name is Kay. Is Kay here now? Kay, stand up. Miss Todd's voice, to Kay's surprise, had sorriness mixed with its sternness. Kay stood up by his seat. The artist looked at him seriously, but kindly. But Kay was too troubled and ashamed to see the kindness. I hear that for many days, always at night, Kay, you have gone around in a horrid mask, frightening other children. The policeman caught you with the mask, so he thinks it must have been you all the time. Was it? I was just carrying the mask when he caught me. I had never been the masker. If you weren't, who was? Kay did not answer that. He stayed silent, trying hard not to look at Rose Marie. Won't you tell? No. All the other children, and even Miss Todd, gasped at Kay's firm, No. It must have been because Kay was a foreigner and did not know how great a man the artist was, and how very important to this village that he dared to speak so firmly his no. Why, the artist had given them this very school and its big playground, no other village of its size in the country had such a fine school and playground. But the artist did not mind Kay's firm. No, a bit. He liked it. Well, Kay, if you won't tell, he said, then Rose Marie is here just for that. He turned and looked down at his little granddaughter. Rose Marie had stood all this while, looking at no one in the school but Kay. She was a little shy at being up there before all the eyes of the village children, but aside from that shyness, she was her natural self, her merry self, with dimples just around the corner. Now that her grandfather had turned to her, she had to speak. She did it quickly, rather breathlessly, and still looking at Kay. I was the masker. It was I who frightened you all. My governess has her supper at twilight, and then I could get out without her knowing. Last night, Kay chased me and caught me, and I gave him the mask. He was taking it to the wind boy to tear up when the policeman caught him. He never wore it at all. 
Never was the schoolroom so silent as that school was for a minute after Rosemarie had finished. Then the artist spoke again. Rosemarie didn't know about the little boy who was made sick. You see, we did not want her to be frightened, and so no one mentioned the massacre to her ever or what harm it was doing. Rosemarie had no children to play with, and so she found that running around in the twilight, frightening people and looking in at windows where there were children, was the next best thing to having playmates. That is why it would not be fair to punish her for her masquerading any more than she has already been punished. And now I want her to have children to play with forever after, so that she will not have to look into windows. And so I am here to ask Miss Todd if she may come to this school and begin working with you and playing with you this very morning. And then the artist added one more thing. I hope you will all be friends with Rosemarie, for she needs your friendship. But already you know now from what has happened that she has one true and loyal friend here, and that is Kay. Then, after a few quiet words at the door with Miss Todd, the artist went away, leaving Rosemarie at school. Just at first, the children could hardly attend to their lessons. It was as though a princess at least had come to school among them. Before this, they had only glimpsed Rosemarie as she went by, sitting between her two attendants in the back seat of her grandfather's big car, wrapped round in furs or silk. And now here she was, one of them, in a plain gingham frock and with everyday leather sandals and brown socks. Why, she looked just like any schoolgirl. But almost at once, Rosemarie's merry brown eyes and the toss of her dark dancing curls did away with their feeling of strangeness. She was truly one of them, even before they went out to play at recess time. But recess did add the finishing touch. Rosemarie was such a merry little girl. It was she who thought up the games to play, and right away led in everything. You would think she had been comrading with other children all her life. Perhaps that was because she had so often imagined what she would do had she playmates. And, of course, she never, as the other children had done in the past, left Gentian and Kay out. Rather, they were the first she turned to in everything. Had she not been watching them from her high nursery window for a year now? Did she not know them well? So for the first time since they had come to this village, Kay and Gentian forgot that they were foreigners and left off all strangeness. They raced and shouted and laughed with the rest. And at the close of school, Rose Marie ran home between them, the happiest little girl in the village. But she pulled them to a stop at the corner. How can you run so fast? she asked. My breath's gone. It's the sandals, I think, Kay answered. And then all the way home, they walked very slowly, for Kay and Gentian had to tell Rose Marie about the shoeman and his blue-curtained store with the crystal light flooding down the stairs and the little oven bird in place of a doorbell. Rose Marie was enchanted. Gentian and Kay were very late in getting home from school that day. When Nan saw their faces, she asked, "'What happened to you? Was school so wonderful?' Oh, it was, they cried, and then between them they told her all about the morning. Nan was as happy as they over all that had happened. And now school will never seem unpleasant to you again, 
she said when they were done. You will go there gladly every morning, just as the other children do. It is your school now, and the village will get to be your village. That is just as your mother wants it. How contented she will be. But they were hardly done with their dinner, because they had talked so much, before Rosemarie came skipping through the hole in the hedge, just as though she had been doing it every day for a year, and was at their window. Her dancing curls and merry eyes might have belonged to some fairy, but her cheeks were too hard and rosy for any but a very human little girl. "'Come in! Come in!' cried the children. "'No! Come out!' called back Rosemarie. "'Let's play in the tulip garden. Grandfather says we may, and without Miss Prine's coming along to bother either.' "'But Mother doesn't let us go there,' the children said wistfully. "'It would be such a beautiful place to play.' Nan had heard from the kitchen, and now she came into the sitting-room. "'Your mother would not mind your going through the hedge now,' she assured them, "'since it's Rosemarie herself that asks you. "'It was only because she thought you were not wanted there "'that she forbade it before.' "'But Rosemarie had run around and in at the door. "'Now she was in the room with them. "'To Gentian's and Kay's great surprise, "'she threw her arms about Nan's neck "'and gave her a great hug. "'Do you know Nan?' they asked. "'Of course I do.' Didn't she come in starry brightness to tell me everything and make me brave? Grandfather thinks she was only a dream, but he won't think so now when I show her to him. And see what she made happen. I'm your playmate now. I'm even going to your school. A funny dream to manage all that. Then Nan and Gentian and Kay and Rosemarie all laughed together, though Kay and Gentian did not yet know exactly what it was about. And just as Gentian, Monday morning, up in the clear school, had danced round and round in the arbor and then out of it, so here now these four took hands and danced round and round in the room and out the door and there round and round under the cherry tree to the music of their laughter. But it was Nan who stopped first. I am forgetting all about the dishes, she said. At that they laughed more. What a thing to remember! Rosemarie cried. But Kay said, Nan is like that. If there weren't dishes or some such thing to be done, I think she'd fly straight away and be a fairy. May we help you with the dishes then? asked Rosemarie. I never helped anybody washing dishes. Do you do it in the kitchen? How jolly! So the children went in with Nan and helped clear the table. Nan gave them a clean towel each, a towel with the sunshine still in it, for they had come from the line at the door where Nan had hung them that morning. And after she had dipped the glasses and plates, knives and forks into rainbow soap suds and washed them well, the children took them to dry. Then Rosemarie, because she was the guest, was allowed to sweep up the crumbs under the table while Kay held the dustpan for her. And to hang the newly washed towels out in the sunshine at the back door again. It was the greatest fun in her life. Now for the tulip garden, Kay cried, who had grown a little impatient of all this houseworking. Goodbye, then. Come home in time for supper, Nan said. Oh, but you come too, Nan, Rosemarie pleaded. It will be so much more fun with you along. But I thought you didn't want a grown-up. Miss Prine's not going. Rosemarie laughed her lightest, jolliest laugh. 
Well, you're not Miss Prine, she said. Why, you're like us, only more so. So Nan put off the mending she had intended until evening and ran away with the children through the hole in the hedge and down the grassy paths toward the tulip garden.